0: here today. What a blessing it is. Very encouraging. Uh, one of the most encouraging things that I've uh, been a part of in six or even a year would be seeing how God orchestrated our timing of things right now. Uh, about a month ago, a month and a half ago, uh we were asked to host some children from China. And uh, somebody came to me and asked to do this. We had already planned way in advance of that to have Caroline and uh, the Taiwan team and and y'all come. That was already planned months before. And the people came to have some of our Chinese students uh, stay with us. We didn't know that was gonna happen and to be honest, I wasn't sure how we were going to do it. This was not planned way in advance. So how are we going to get homes for 16 kids and teach English in our classrooms? And I've never taught English before. And how are we going to pull this off? And at the time, I thought it was absolute craziness to do. But one thing about your pastor is sometimes he has a hard time saying no. So he says, okay, let's do it anyway. And in the providence of the Lord, I just love how God uses my foolishness sometimes. To still bring glory to himself. We're singing Chinese songs on the very Sunday that they're here. What an amazing God, right? And how he works and orchestrates all these things. You know what it is? He's building his kingdom. He's building his kingdom. He's saving people. And he's doing it all over the world. And he's doing it in ways that we would never dream. We would never plan it. He's building... The kingdom. He's adding citizens to his kingdom. Isn't that great news? I'm so thankful he uses us, right? Sinners like us get to be used in his kingdom. So today we're back in Matthew chapter 13 and we're going to be talking about this kingdom. Jesus actually taught on this kingdom. It's a kingdom like no other kingdom that the world has ever seen. And we're going to see as we go along that he defines and explains what this kingdom is all about. We're in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew and the the good news of Jesus Christ is being recorded by Matthew. One of the disciples has written this down probably somewhere around 30 years later and explaining all that happened while Jesus was here and giving an account for us to understand. Matthew being previously the tax collector... ...who had converted to become a believer and follower of Jesus... ...when Jesus had called him from the tax collector's booth... ...and he left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus, we've seen in our passage, had presented His glory to His people. He had shown that He was special, different, an authority here on earth. He had healed many people in that area of the world disease had been almost eradicated by this man that was coming around and speaking and people were being healed he had even raised the dead he had spoken amazing sermons and when he told he spoke he spoke as one having authority Unlike the scribes and the Pharisees that just spoke as normal people, that said, well, this is kind of what I think it means. He spoke and said, this is what it says, and this is what it means, and I am the authority. Jesus spoke like no other human's ever spoken. Well, I guess other people have spoken like that with authority, but they didn't really have the authority. He did have the authority, and he spoke. Then his own people had begun to turn on him and accuse Jesus of doing his miracles by an evil spirit. Craziness. Doing miracles, good things for people, by an evil spirit. So Jesus announced the coming judgment on these people for their rejection of him and of the spirit that was working in him. As we saw last time in Matthew chapter 13, in his judgment... Jesus begins to speak in parables. So what are parables? Parables are, again, a short story, a little story that has a spiritual meaning behind it. But by Jesus speaking these parables, if he didn't give explanation, it was actually an act of judgment on the people for rejecting him. He spoke a parable, a story that had a hidden meaning behind it, a spiritual meaning behind it, but then didn't explain what the meaning was to everybody. Now, why would he do that? Well, it was because he knew the motives of the hearts of the people that were following him. They were following for wrong motives, and they were following to accuse him, and they were rejecting him. And also, he knew the plan of God. He understood that God had a plan that through the rejection of Israel, that Israel would reject their Messiah, the world would hear about the gospel. Through the rejection of the Messiah, we would get salvation. We would have hope. We would have good news. So that by their rejection, we could come to have salvation. This was an act of judgment by Jesus. That He speaks in parables, in these small, simple stories that had a spiritual meaning that they couldn't understand. In other words, the Lord had begun to judge those who blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Jesus only gave the meaning of the parables to who? His followers. Notice in Matthew 13, 11 it states... Jesus answered them, talking to his disciples when they said, What's this mean? He said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been. So in other words, disciples, listen, followers of me, Hey, I will tell you what that parable means, but they don't get to hear. They don't get to hear why? Because they have accused me of doing miracles by Beelzebul... Therefore, saying the Spirit is what? Doing miracles? The Spirit is Satan. They're blaspheming God. So the parables were given to help explain and clarify spiritual truths to the disciples, to the followers. But the parables were also given to hide the truth from the self-righteous, religious ones. People who rejected Jesus. So today we find that Jesus gave some more parables in our passage. And he explains it again, why he's doing this in parables. Look at verse 34. It states, All these things, all these things talking about the parables... Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. Why? And he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. The idea is this. Jesus was fulfilling exactly what God's plan was for him, which was to come and to proclaim the kingdom, but to proclaim the kingdom with for only some He would proclaim it, and many would reject it. And this was all part of God's plan. Because the stone, that is Jesus, that was rejected by the builders, that is, the people of Israel rejecting their Messiah as a whole, became the chief cornerstone of the kingdom of the believers. Notice there's twofold purpose here to further clarify who Jesus is, His kingdom for the believers, but also judgment, to disguise the truth for the from the unbeliever. Only those who had ears to hear got to understand the words of the kingdom. In this section, the parables were given to help clarify and uh, define what the kingdom of heaven is. So how many of you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is? I do, right? Want to know what the kingdom of heaven is? Well, Jesus explains it, and he uses parables to do it. I just pray everybody in the room has ears to hear and eyes to see, spiritual understanding that the Spirit of God is working in you, because otherwise it's going to do what? Fall on deaf ears. Not literal deaf ears, but spiritual deaf ears, just like it did with many of these. And as we cover this par- these parables over the next couple weeks, we're going to understand, however, everybody who believes, everybody who has repented and believed in Jesus, everybody who has had a heart change will understand what the kingdom of heaven is all about. You will get it. And for you that have not yet, here's my call, here's my petition to you repent and believe in Jesus. You have sin. You need a Savior. He came into the world to die to pay for sin. Turn to Him. And then you will understand. The words from our Lord and Savior here will help us to define, however, and clarify and explain the kingdom of heaven for all who believe. Some of the questions we will have answered in our study of the Word will include these. What is the kingdom of heaven? Who are the participants in the kingdom? Kenny, can you get me a drink? I've got a tickle all of a sudden. Is the kingdom of heaven similar or different from kingdoms on earth here and now? We're going to find all these things out. Is the kingdom of heaven here on earth now? Is the kingdom of heaven on earth now? That's an interesting question. How does someone become a member of the kingdom of heaven? I want to know that. Is it clear who are the members of the kingdom of heaven and who are the members who aren't the members of the kingdom of heaven? Is it clear? Do we see it? Is it obvious? Seven. Is the kingdom of heaven the only spiritual kingdom presently on earth with its citizens? Is that the only kingdom? <clears throat> Is it the only spiritual kingdom? All these are going to be answered in our passages as we go down through it, okay? Good news, right? Here we go. So, as we will see, notice the rest of the chapter is all about laying out the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 24. In verse 24, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. There's one. Look at verse 31. He presented another parable to them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is a man, which a man took and sowed in his field." Also, verse thirty-three, the, he spoke another parable to them: "The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened." Verse forty-four. Look at them, they're all here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. Wow. Wow. There's a lot here, right? All these parables are going to tell us what this kingdom of heaven is all about. Thank you, brother. Yeah, maybe. All right. right. So let's look. Look back at verse 24. Thankfully, Jesus gave a pretty good explanation of what the kingdom of heaven is all about in these parables. Let's start with verse 24. In verse 24, we see... The kingdom of heaven is like the situation of a man who sowed good seeds in his field, but the enemy sowed weeds in the same field. You say, what? That does sound like a parable. Let's read it again. Verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came to him and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? He said, no, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Instead, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn." Now, let's just be honest. When you're looking at this and hearing this parable, what in the world does this have to do with the kingdom of heaven? If you didn't know the explanation and you didn't know any more verses, you would hear this and you would say, okay, that sounds like a farming story. It sounds like this evil guy put some tares, bad stuff in a field with some wheat and... Okay, he says, I don't want to destroy it all, so... Okay, that's a great story. Jesus, you are amazing at telling stories. But what in the world does that have to do with the kingdom of heaven? Kind of strange, isn't it? Why would he do this? Why does he do this? He does this for two purposes. One, to help those that are believers understand the kingdom of heaven better... And for those that were rejecting him, it was judgment to hide the truth from them. Which one is it for you? Here's some good news for us who have our Bibles. (laughs) Guess what? Jesus gives us the answer. Isn't that good news? He tells us. Look at verse 36. The reason and the explanation of the parable is given in verse 36. Do you understand what a privilege it is that you have your Bible sitting in front of you? What a great privilege, isn't it? Because Matthew records what the reason is and what the explanation is. Why do we get to know this? Well, God is a gracious and kind God. You know, I have good news for our Chinese students, too. We ordered, and we'll get them hopefully by the end of the week, a, a Bible for each one of them. They all get to take a Bible home. It's going to have Chinese and English, and they can work on their English. At the same time, they're they're reading their Bibles. We're giving them a present, an explanation of who God is. Now, you believers in the room, do you realize the privilege it is that you have these Bibles? You understand you have an under, a revelation of who God is with you. <clears throat> what a great truth, isn't it? So, what's the explanation? Jesus gives it in verse 36. Then he left the crowds. And he went into the house. Interesting, huh? What happened? Big crowd of people. A lot of people. Tells the parable. Then what's he do? He goes into a small house. With not as many people. And what happens? And his disciples came to him and said... Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. By the way, I want you to take note of this. How many of you want to know what the parable means? i got good news for you. Go to him and he will give you the answer. Our Lord and Savior wants you to know what the kingdom is all about. He wants you to know what the parables are. Go to him and say, hey, I need help. I can't understand this. Help me. And guess what he does? He reveals himself in his word. He tells us what it is. By the grace of God, we get to hear. And he said to them, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. We know that to be who? That's Christ himself. That's Jesus. He's talking about himself. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Boy, he is really laying it out there, isn't he? He's giving all the characters in the parable. He's telling them exactly what they need to know to what? To understand it. Wow, this is like a cheat sheet. To know exactly what the hidden meaning is of the parable. And then notice. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness... And will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now what in the world does he mean by that again? He who has ears, let him hear. Is he saying he's talking about deaf people versus hearing people? No. He's talking about spiritual awareness. A heart to understand. He who has spiritual understanding, listen to this explanation. So let's look. And let's just walk down and see how he explains the parable, okay? It's really neat. Turn back to your parable. Turn back to verse 24. And I'm going to put them up on the board so you can see them. So you can understand who the characters are. And then we'll just walk back down through the parable and see how it all fits. Make sense? Here we go. Let's look. He defines the characters. Here's the characters. He, dec- he defines one as, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So who's the son of man? That's Jesus. He's the one that sows the good seeds. That's who's in the, That's who's in the parable. The son of man. Then there's the world. and the field is the world. Now I want you to notice clearly, pay close attention, the world. The field is not what. The field isn't the church. The field is what? The world. That's what he says. So what is the world? It's the whole world. Turn about the whole world, everywhere. The field is the world. The son of man is who? The sower of the good seeds. Where is he throwing the seeds? The world. The world. All over the world. Right? Interesting. And as the good seed, as for the good seed, who these are the sons of the kingdom. The sons of the kingdom. So who are the good seed? Believers. Believers, all those that are the, in the kingdom, citizens, kingdom citizens, the royal priesthood, all who have repented and believed in Him, we're the good seeds. And who are the tares? If you can look at this picture; it's very interesting. Do you see how the tares look so much like the wheat? There's a little bit. We'll talk about this in a second. They're very similar, but the tares are what the sons of the evil one. So Jesus is explaining the parable perfectly. The sons of the evil one. And then who is the one that sows the tares? The enemy. Who sowed them is the devil. The devil. So what's the harvest? The harvest is the end of the age. It's the end of the time when everybody will be shown and God will... What? Bring about and show, these are the bad, these are the good, these are the ones with me, these are the ones that are what? Outside of me. That's the harvest. And who are the reapers? What's going be? I was going to put a nice big picture of an angel here, and then what would that do? That would destroy all of our view of what an angel really looks like. Probably a big, large man. They're not always with wings. What is it? It's the person, the angels rather, that will come through, not people, but they will come through at the end and God will clear out the wheat from the tares, will separate the wheat from the tares. So looking back at the parable, looking back at the parable, what do we see? I want to go back. Y'all are okay with this, right? Looking back at the parable, let's look and make some observations do you see that knowing the information of verse 36 to 39 really makes it a lot easier to understand, doesn't it? Look back at 24. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seeds in his field. Okay. Who's the man? Jesus, the son of man. So, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to Jesus who sowed good seeds. Who are the good seeds? Believers who put good believers, solid believers, kingdom citizens, what? In his field. In his field, which is the world. What does this show? What does this show? Once you understand all this, what does it show about who God is? Who does it, what does it show about who Jesus is? Whose world is it? It's his world. The whole world is his. The whole world is His. And all that are His kingdom citizens were put there by who? Him. Why are we kingdom citizens? Why do we believe? Because He made us kingdom citizens. Who gets all the credit? Who gets all the glory? The farmer does. The sower does. And He's building His kingdom perfectly, isn't He? It's become like this situation, the kingdom of heaven. It has arrived in one sense, but it has not brought its full completion yet until the harvest. So there is a sense where the kingdom is being established, that is, people are being added to the kingdom, but what's not happened yet? The full awareness of it. Who's the tares and who's the wheat? That hasn't happened The parable points to a spiritual battle too, doesn't it? That's going on between the scenes. The son of man versus the enemy, the devil. Good, righteous king versus the devil, the liar. And this is an ongoing battle, isn't it? How long, what part are we in? This is very interesting. What part of the parable are we in today? He's still throwing seeds out. He's still throwing seeds out. And in a strange way, the devil is still what? Sowing tares. Sowing tares. Still happening. We're still back there. The harvest hasn't come yet, has it? It's an ongoing battle. The wheat and the tares are continually being sown into the world. However, the power. power, power blah, blah, blah. Too many peas in this sermon. <clears throat> and then I got the tickle, too. However, the parable points to the sovereign plan to allow good plants to grow up beside weeds to allow the full harvest to come about. The farmer knew the evil one was. What he had done. The farmer understood that. The Son of Man knows that this is what's happening. He's fully aware that wheat and tare are growing up side by side. And yet he allowed it to happen, didn't he? And he allows it to happen the whole time. He allows the tares and the wheat to grow up side by side. Why does he do it that way? The parable tells you. Why does he do it? Because he knows that if he took out the tares, it would hurt some of the what? Wheat. So he allows the two to grow up side by side on the world together. They're there. Now, when it says the enemy came while they slept, doesn't mean literally that the farmer is back there sleeping. That Jesus stopped being sovereign. That's not what he's getting at. It implies that the enemy is stealth and wicked and malicious. And he does it in a way that's deceptive. He does it to hide. The evil one is doing this in our world today, isn't he? He's subtle. He's crafty. He's wicked. He plants false believers sometimes in areas where believers are. He puts them right next to him. And so you'll have believers and unbelievers growing up right beside each other. Matter of fact, he'll have believers and unbelievers doing what? In the same household. He'll have believers that are there and unbelievers that are there and they'll be living right beside each other and at least at first it will be very hard to understand, won't it? You won't even be able to tell which one's which. Hadn't he already talked about that? He talked about that. He's talked about how in a man's own household, father will hate son, or mother will hate daughter. It's very important for you to understand the tear is a a plant that is very close to the wheat. I want you to see that. You can see it in the picture. Gotta go down and come back. Look. It is close, somewhat close, isn't it? You see it has somewhat seeds, and but you can tell which one bears lots of seeds and which one doesn't. But they're very close, aren't they? And they grow up right next to each other, but one's not useful, and the other is very useful. One brings lots of fruit, the other brings very little and no good fruit. This weed the enemy sowed among the wheat. Even members of one's own household will be right there. And we see this. Now, I think it's very important for us to understand. And this this theme is going to kind of go through all the parables. That it's not always discernible when you look. I know, y'all watch TV, and I know you look at social media and you read the news. The tendency for all of us is to do this. To look and say, well, that's the good guy and that's the bad guy. You know what I'm talking about, right? And, and we start, we get into these groups in our society, don't we? The good guys versus the bad guys. And I'm with the good guys. and You're with the bad guys, right? And we have these pictures and we're always looking and we, we might even look at countries and say, that's bad. And that evil guy that's leading them. And the good guys are over here. I want you to understand that the kingdom of heaven is not discernible that way. Do you understand? Listen closely. And I'm going to shock some of you in here. There are Democrats and Republicans that are wheat. Oh, you're kidding me. They're all tears, those Democrats or they're all tears, those Republicans. That's what we're thinking. We often look at the other side and we say, they're the bad people and we're the good people. The kingdom of heaven's not like that. The kingdom of heaven shows totally different ways. It's personal fruit within the person. That's how you tell personal fruit within their hearts and in their souls, and how they love God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and how they love their neighbor as themselves. Very interesting. They grow up right beside each other. We often make teams and pit armies, but you know, we're often jumping on the side of Satan in some ways. Be careful, beloved. No, I am not picking a party here. I'm not talking about those things, but I want you to listen closely. The kingdom of heaven is not like what the world says. Notice, the tares and weeds are so plentiful that the servants are not allowed to pick the weeds because it would damage the true wheat. So God in His providence allows these things to happen all for His glory, all so that He will get a great harvest at the time of the end of the age. Again here we see the owner shows his sovereignty over the field by identifying the enemy, by telling the servants not to pick out the weeds early. When is the end of the age going to come? I'll give you a hint. Exactly when Jesus says it's the end of the age. Not one second before and not one second after. It's going to start when he says and when he's ordained. He also shows the sovereignty by knowing the fruit will come anyway at the harvest. Isn't that good news? We I don't know about you guys, but in the news lately in Christian circles, we've seen false teachers People that we thought were solid believers have come out and denied the faith like a Joshua Harris. We thought they were believers. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that caught God off guard? When he wrote that book, did God go, oh man, I cannot believe this happened. Why did Josh Harris do this? Why did he deny me at this moment? No, 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 no. God was completely sovereign. He knew way ahead of time. Now my prayer is is that Joshua will repent and embrace Christ. But these things are not shocking to God. God is sovereign over all of that. Now I want you to listen closely. And he knows every single one of us in the room. He knows every heart in the room. He knows what you are about. He knows what you're thinking. He knows whether you're a believer. He knows whether you're his own or not. That should cause everybody to run to him, right? I need you, Lord. Save me. Also, it's important to note the field is not the church. In this parable, it's very important. Weeds and tares are the whole world. Jesus, now it does mean that they'll be close. So within the church, you will have weeds and tares. Wheat and tares, not weeds and tares. Wheat and tares. You will have them in the church. But in the world as a whole, you will have them growing up too. Jesus is not addressing the issue of Believers and non-believers in the church only. It's the whole thing. As D.A. Carson states, the parable does not address the church situation at all, but explains how the kingdom can be present in the world while not yet wiping out all opposition. In other words, why does... How many of you have asked this question? Why does God put up with this world? You ever wonder that? You ever wonder... Why in the world doesn't God just, you know, nuke some of these countries that are doing really evil things? Why didn't he do that? Answer, the church. What? The church? No! Don't you remember we had a brother from over in the Middle East come and speak? And we're sitting here on news saying, man, just go ahead and take them out. Take that country out. If we did, we would do what? God would what? Wipe out all those believers that are in, our, in that country. God knows what he's doing. He's not making mistakes. He will bring judgment on the world when he decides to bring the harvest. That makes things very difficult for us to understand. I, I had a discussion with somebody just recently and said we were talking about how how do you interpret what's going on in the world when it when it looks like it's all this is bad and you can't really see where the church is and where it's not and you can't see what's going on well here here's what you need to do you ready You need to trust the sovereign God and keep proclaiming the King and live for Him personally and not try to figure out and fix the world because you're not going to do it. The world's not going to get fixed until what? Jesus returns and He fixes the world. The kingdom of heaven is being Built one citizen at a time. So why do you go to work? (laughs) Why do you talk to your neighbor? Why do you do what you do? Is it so that they'll like you? Is it so that you will make a big living? Is it so that you will have a nice house? Is it so that you will have lots of friends? Or is it so you can make kingdom citizens? And proclaim the glory of God. That's why we're doing what we do, right? It's everything. Why do I go to Dollar General? Why do I go mow a yard? Why do I do it? I do it to do what? To make a kingdom citizen. To spread the gospel, the glory of Christ, so more people will know Him and embrace Him. Because guess what? Look, the end is coming. The end is coming. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks. And those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into a furnace of fire, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Wow, what a picture. I'll tell you what. I got a phone call yesterday from somebody. It's amazing how I get phone calls for all the secret churches in the area. For some unknown reason, they call us. I don't know why they're like calling. And I saw this wonderful little video and I saw your phone number and I called you and I want to talk to you about Hell. Hell. I said, yeah. Or he said, yeah, I want to talk to you about hell. I just don't see how there could really be a hell. I mean, your church is all about positive and encouragement. I said, well, I think you got the wrong website. Our church is all about a holy and just God. He said, but I just can't wrap my mind around the idea that God is going to judge a bunch of people. Billions of people are going to be judged? I can't wrap my mind around that. How do I do that? And I said, that's really hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? And I can tell you that it is a really sad thing for me to contemplate the amount of people that are going to hell. It is very grieving to me too. But I can't go with what my feelings say. And I can't go with just what I think. i got to go with what the Word of God says. And the fact of the matter is, is, if you come to my sermon tomorrow, you will hear that Jesus talks about hell. And that He says that it's a true thing that's going to happen. And that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if it's weeping and gnashing of teeth, then it's just a... You get burned up or you die. How can you weep and gnash and teeth if you're dead? This is an ongoing reality that judgment's coming. It's real. It's true. Hell is a reality. Jesus spoke of it. And who gets this? Who gets this hell? Everybody that's not a kingdom citizen. Everybody that's not a believer in Jesus. Ouch. No, he defines it. Look. He defines it. Who are the ones? It's the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. Okay. Now, I got two minutes to tell you the most important news you're going to hear in this sermon. And I want everybody to pay attention, please. Look at the passage. He says, the Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out His kingdom all the stumbling blocks. So in other words, He's going to take the stumbling blocks out of the what? Wheat. He's going to take the bad out of the good. He's going to separate the bad from the good. The stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness. Stumbling blocks. Who are stumbling blocks? Stumbling blocks are those people that cause other people not to hear and understand the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody that's causing people not to understand who Christ is, that's a stumbling block. That's all other religions. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. All other religions are doing what? They're stealing from the glory of Christ. That's a stumbling block. And then it says, who commit lawlessness? Lawlessness. What does that mean? Who commit lawlessness? It's anybody, now at this point, at this point it should there should be like a, a oh, I can't believe this guy's saying this. Listen closely. anybody that commits lawlessness, Anybody that breaks the holy, righteous standard of God. Anybody that has ever sinned one time. Anybody that's ever sinned one time will be judged. You're kidding me. That's what he says. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. So what's his law? I'll give you two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Every minute of every hour of your entire life. Okay, everybody in the room that has done that your entire life, you're welcome to get up and leave the room. That would be what? No one. Oh, so we're all not kingdom citizens? Hold on. Or, second law, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you have loved your neighbor like yourself all the time your whole life? For Whenever they did something mean to you, you said, oh, it's okay, no big deal, I love you. You did that, right? Last time somebody treated you bad, you said, it's okay, no big deal, I'll let it go. Did y'all do that? You say, well, that's not fair. Well, how many of you want to be treated like that? Did you hear me? Love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you, how many of you really think about this? You don't have to raise your hand, but just think through this. How many of you, if you do something wrong to somebody and you say, hey, I'm sorry, will you let me go? Will you let it off? Do you want him to say, no, pay penalties, take it, I'm going to make you suffer? You don't want them to say that, do you? You want them to say what? No big deal, I'll let it go. So do you do that to everybody? Have you done that to everybody your entire life? That means everybody's going to face his judgment, doesn't it? We need help, don't we? And this is when everybody in the room that recognizes that they've sinned says, I need a savior. I need a savior. I need a king that will also provide a way for me to be righteous. I need my sins paid for. How about you? And everybody that repents turns from their sin, and trusts in Jesus, guess what? His righteousness is credited to your account and your sin is put on Him at the cross and He pays for your sin and your righteousness is now as His righteousness and we all go into the kingdom going, Glory to Christ, our righteous King. I will serve Him forever because He is good to me. Is it us? Is it us? Is it where we were born? Is it any of this? No. It's Christ Jesus, our Lord, who came into the world to die for sinners like me and you. And all of us who place our faith and trust in Him, our sins are paid for, and we are white as snow, considering it's like our sins are all paid for. So who's going to be in the kingdom and who's going to face the judgment of God? Everybody who repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be in the kingdom. And one day, it will be a glorious day. There will be no more tears. There will be no more people that are against God there will only be those that worship God from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every people. And all God's people say, Amen. What a good God, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness towards us. Thank you for Christ Jesus who came into the world to die for sinners like us. Help us, Lord, now to go and serve you to proclaim your name to this world. Lord, use us. Use us to glorify you. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please stand and let's sing and worship our King.